Hello, my name is Dr. Bertrand Liang, and welcome to Patient Stories, episodes about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. The brain can be a very funny thing sometimes. Michael was referred to me from his primary care physician due to leg numbness, a distinctly different referral than I'm used to receiving. He was a student at the local university, and clearly uh, an excellent one. He told me he was majoring in both biology and chemistry, and his plan was to enter into medicine once finishing undergraduate school. In addition to English, he was able to speak Cantonese, Mandarin, and as he called it, passable Japanese, something insisted upon by his parents. He denied smoking, alcohol, or any drugs of abuse. He noted that his mother, a physician, had passed away earlier in the year. His mannerisms were stern, and he had a relatively flat and emotionless voice, albeit very well spoken in any event. When asking about his symptoms, he noted that the numbness in his left leg had been going on for at least three to four months. And he noted it when he had started to play lacrosse recreationally with some of his roommates at the house he lived in off campus. I asked him if there was any history of trauma or falling or other types of precipitating events, to which he denied. Nothing seemed to make it better, or for that matter worse. It just seemed to be there, in his words, and that he had noted it just after starting lacrosse. He denied it feeling like a pin or a needle, but rather with very limited sensation. When I actually tested his ability to feel a pinprick, there was a slight decrease in the perception, all the way up his leg to about halfway up his thigh, which then just stopped abruptly. There were no issues with strength or his reflexes, and he had no difficulty with perceiving positions of his limbs, or interestingly, even temperature. Needless to say, this was a very strange pattern, and not particularly anatomically explainable, given the separation of temperature and pinprick in a unilimb discrete line of perception of sensation. I told Michael I wasn't really sure what was going on, but we would need to get some further tests to assess him. Until then, I suggested he limit his lacrosse playing for the time being. We scheduled Michael for some EMG and nerve conduction testing. When the results came back, I have to admit, I wasn't particularly surprised they were normal. Of course, the caveat was that small fiber neuropathies could have an entirely normal test such as these, so one couldn't rule out specific pathology at that level of the nervous system. Moreover, there were rare things that could cause only a sensory neuropathy or neuropathy, but to just affect one limb would be somewhat unheard of. So when I saw Michael again in follow-up, I presented this to him and started talking about how he was doing in school as well as how he was coping in general. It turned out that he had been the penultimate student before coming to the university. I tend to get those patients, as, as you all know, and that his parents had been both from very disadvantaged backgrounds, only to escape the suppressions of the communist regime in China to Japan, where, with a huge amount of hard work and considerable luck, they were able to go to medical school, his dad becoming an internist and his mom becoming an ophthalmologist. It was she who Michael noted brought up he and his brother given his father was always at the office. He recounted how she insisted they always be at least one chapter ahead of what the teacher was teaching in every subject as kids, how she pushed them to be the smartest in the class, and that being number two is never good enough, and how they always were associated with like-minded parents at the Chinese school they attended, which happened every weekend, and never had time to do anything but study school materials, Chinese school, or the extra assignments that his mom had taught. Both he and his brother had significant scholarships to attend university, his brother was planning to graduate early in order to start medical school early, or at least do research prior to starting uh, a specific MD-PhD program he'd been admitted to. 
Michael noted that he was not as smart as his brother and that he had diversified by not living with Asian roommates, thus getting the chance to do something a bit different, like lacrosse. I then asked Michael as gently as I could if he missed his mom. I was surprised that he became very teary-eyed and noted that everyone in the family missed her, and it was his desire to go into oncology since his mom had died of ovarian cancer. As I reached for the box of tissues behind me, I asked him what his mom might think of what he was doing now. He paused and, after accepting a tissue, noted that she probably would not approve of him playing instead of studying. At that point, I was at loss for words. I thought that Michael's neuropathy had some serious functional overlay, namely that some of it may be psychological in origin. But the fact that this might be due to his mother's death wasn't really something I thought about when we first met. I asked Michael whether he would like to see someone about this, and he noted that he just felt depressed for months since his mom's death, but wasn't able to either express it or react to it in any way. I did note that some of the medications that could help in a reactive depression might also help with the neuropathy, so it would be a good thing for him to see someone in psychiatry. We scheduled him for an appointment with the psychiatry service, as well as a return visit with me after attending with them. Over the next six months, Michael followed up with the psychiatry service. I knew his primary psychiatry liaison, who was an incredibly smart doctor that I'd worked with in the past. With both medications and talk therapy, Michael did very well and came through with his depression over time, as well as the leg numbness that resolved actually over a very short period of time. When I left the practice, I recall that he had gotten into medical school and that his plan was still to go into oncology. His psychiatrist told me that they did indeed include that somatization disorder was one of his diagnoses and that it had absolutely resolved. The brain sometimes drives us to handle stress in a variety of different ways. We need to always remember that because external factors we have to ask about may give us a clue to what is going on with the patient. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.